first four lessons of For Me to Live as Christ, part one, focuses on what it means to be in Christ, what tremendous blessings we can celebrate and appropriate. This begins part two, lessons five, six, seven, and eight, emphasize Christ in us and the practical value that has for our Christian life. The Lord Jesus said, I've come that you might have have life and also have it more abundantly. We're going to unpack what that means, that abundant life what it means for Christ to actually be our source of living. He is the true vine. We are the branches. How do we abide in him? Well, this concept of Christ in us is a very precious and meaningful truth. And it reminds me of a former board member of Grace Fellowship International, Dr. Jack Taylor, who describes uh, his personal journey to know Christ as his life. He was a pastor of a large church in Texas. And yet due to personal disappointments and the struggle of trying to live this victorious life and help others along that path, he came to a point of desperation where one night he said in prayer, God, if this is all there is to the Christian life, then just take me home in my sleep tonight. But if I wake up tomorrow morning, then I'm going to take that as a indication from you that there must be more to this Christian life than I have received. Well, he woke up the next morning and he thought, all right, Lord, there must be more. He went to a study, opened his Bible, And as he was reading his devotions that morning, he came to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. I read the words once again. This is the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, this time when he read those words, the Holy Spirit illumined him to what that really would mean in his personal spiritual journey. And his life has never been the the same. Jack Taylor went on to write a book called The Key to Triumphant Living. In that book, he describes that this message of our union with Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory, is like a key that unlocks every kind of lock. And we find that true in the biblical counseling ministry, that as we relate this message of Christ in us, the hope of glory, to people's problems, whether it's depression, anxiety, marital problems, drug addictions, whatever it may be, we reduce it down to the core issue of whether we are living out of our own resources or whether we're trusting Christ and his resources in us to be the resource for victorious Christian living. What does it mean for Christ to be in us, the hope of glory? That's the topic of our study today. In lesson two and three, we looked at what we call the line diagram. And it's a diagram which you might compare to our Lord's parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. These diagrams are lines on a page, but they've helped people around the world to get a hold of some very profound biblical teaching. And so as we look once again at the line diagram, we see it's based upon the message of our oneness with Christ. And Galatians 2.20 is probably our theme verse because what John 3.16 is for salvation, Galatians 2.20 is for this victorious Christian life. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It's no longer... I who live. It's not the old me that's trying to live. But Christ lives in me. There's the message. Christ in us. So this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in the introduction to Lesson 5, we have some verses about our oneness with Christ and the need to count this to be true personally. So now let's take a closer look at four components to our identification with Christ. These four aspects are our co-crucifixion with him, our co-burial, our co-resurrection, 
and our co-ascension. Each one we describe co, it means together with. We are so familiar and we celebrate Christ's death, his burial, his bodily triumphant resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. But what is not as obvious, what we often miss out on is the deeper truth of the New Testament, that if you are in Christ and he is in you, then in some spiritual, profound, biblical way that we also were crucified with him, buried, raised and ascended. Let's take a look at the biblical basis for our identification with Christ. In terms of our co-death with him, we remember that when Christ died for us and shed his blood on the cross, that was a unique once for all act. And we're not talking about us having anything to do with assisting him in that uh, perfect atonement that he made. When he said it is finished, he meant that he totally had accomplished redemption for you and me. But there is some very profound way in which the Bible teaches that the old you was crucified with Christ. There's a story in the Gospels about the thief on the cross. Remember, there was a thief on either side of the Lord Jesus, and one of them was was ridiculing the Lord Jesus. And yet it seems that one of those men, the thief on the other side of Christ, also being crucified, rebuked uh, the thief that was being skeptical and said that we are experiencing the due consequence of our crime, but this man, Jesus, he is, he is not deserving this punishment. And then he turns to our Lord and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember our Lord's response to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, biblically, we know that that thief on the cross was crucified next to Christ and that he was uh, given paradise. But what is not as familiar is the Bible teaches that we also were there. Of course, we were not there personally because we hadn't been born yet. But there is a spiritual and positional sense in which who we were in Adam got canceled at Calvary. Let's look at some biblical basis for this. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we have the passage where Paul is really giving us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept explanation in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 about our identification with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it reads, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that's with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So now we ask the question, what does it mean that our old man was crucified with Christ? Let's start by defining once again the old man or the old self. We encourage you to go back to the appendix at the end of the For Me to Live as Christ workbook and see a glossary of terms and the biblical basis for those definitions. In essence, we're saying that the old person, the old you, was who you were in Adam before you were saved. Remember in the line diagram, we talk about Adam and his fall, and we were in the lineage of Adam when we were born the first time. So we were born with the guilt of his condemnation. We were born with the spiritual condition of a sinful nature and a spirit that was separated from God. And we try to get our needs met in this fallen world the best we can. So who we were in Adam is what the Bible means by the old man. So when God took you out of Adam and grafted you into Christ's eternal life, then what happened to the old you? The old you was canceled at Calvary. 
The Bible says you're no longer that person you were in Adam. That person identified by Adam's condemnation and that human spirit that was cut off from God and and sin uh, trained and sin stained. That's not who you are any longer. When God put you into Christ through the spiritual union with Him, you became a new creation at the spirit level. You have a new human spirit, a new creation in Christ. And so when the Bible says the old you was crucified with Him, it's not just a positional truth, although it is positional, but it's also spiritual. Who you were in Adam spiritually and positionally was canceled at Calvary. The old man literally was crucified with Christ. Now, with every biblical doctrine, there are practical implications. And one of the practical implications of this is that we can exchange that old identity, whether it was a positive or negative one, whether it was filled with rejection and dysfunction, whatever that identity was, we can lay that at the foot of the cross because we are no longer identified with our past life. We're not identified with anything in this fallen world. We are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Romans 6.6 6 says, The old man was crucified with Christ. It's not a command. Those of you who like grammar, notice the difference between an indicative and an imperative. Indicative. This is true. The old man was crucified with Christ. Colossians 3.9 You have put off, past tense, the old man. See, it happened already. It's not a command. It's not an imperative. It happened. But we need to discover it, believe it, and appropriate it as true. That's why when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, he was personalizing that message. It's true. Not only were we co-crucified with Christ, which sets us free from our old identity, secondly, we see that there's also our co-burial with Him. Our Lord Jesus, after He was crucified, was taken down from the cross, and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea Uh, wrapped him and prepared his body for burial and he was placed in Joseph's tomb as Isaiah chapter 53 uh, predicted. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And yet he only needed to borrow it for three days, right? Because he was raised again victoriously. But the Bible says you and I were buried with him. It says in in rather Romans 6 verse 4, it says, just as we were buried with him. So through being plunged into the life of Christ, The old you was crucified with him and buried. And water baptism is an outward symbol of our death, burial, resurrection, and ascension with the Lord Jesus. We are buried with him. What's the significance of burial? Burial is showing the finality and the reality of that death. You know, friends, we also need to come to terms with what it meant for us to have been crucified with Christ. See, many times people think that the way for me to get victory is I have to crucify the old man. I have to to do this myself. The Bible says, no, it's not a command. It's a reality that we need to discover. I appreciate how Oswald Chambers says this in his very popular and profound devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. It's on the Internet at um, utmost.org. January 15, he describes that every one of us as believers need to have what he calls a white funeral. What do we mean by a funeral? A funeral is a, an occasion whereby we come to terms with the passing of someone. And what Oswald Chambers is telling 
you and me based on Scripture is that you and I need to have a funeral for who we used to be. I remember someone that had our counseling training came in for a session with me one day and she was dressed to go for hiking in the Smoky Mountains, which are right near our office in East Tennessee. And after we had a a time in the Word together, she said, well, I'm going into the Smokies for a hike and I'm going to have my funeral. Well, that may sound strange to us, but God says we need to claim as personally true our co-death and our co-burial with Christ. Dr. Solomon likes to say it this way, we can hang up our hang-ups at the cross and we can live in heaven on the way to heaven because we're already there. Well, let's look at the, the next part of this fourfold identification with Christ. The Bible says we're also raised with Him. We're raised with Him. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have a very profound passage about our co-resurrection with the Lord Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we read, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Him. Notice our union with Christ means we're made alive together with Him. Co-resurrection. Ephesians 2, 6 and raised us up. There's our co-resurrection. Raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So friends, we have been raised with Him, the Bible says. What's the significance of Christ's resurrection? He conquered death. He was raised victoriously to life and that verifies His identity and shows that His mission was accomplished. What does it mean for you and I to be raised with Him? It means that the resurrection victorious life of Christ lives within us and through our human spirit being joined to his spirit we have the very power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you and in me as believers I think that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding that we would be illumined to the power that's in us the very power that raised Christ from the dead and this is what the Bible is telling his friends about our co- resurrection with him. Can I simply ask you this question? Do you recognize it? Do you believe it? Do you really believe that the new you has been raised with Christ? And that means that you have an identity based on this union with him. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, we have a miraculous account of a Syrian general named Naaman who comes wanting to be healed of leprosy, an incurable disease. Remember the story how he is sent there by a slave girl from Israel that was a member of his household. She says, oh, if you only would go to the prophet in Israel, you could be healed of this leprosy. Well, to make a long story shorter, Naaman goes. He um, is told by Elisha through Elisha's servant to go and dunk in the Jordan River seven times. You remember Naaman didn't like that idea too much. He was too noble and sophisticated for that. He went off in a rage and finally his servants said, Master, if he asked you to do something really hard, wouldn't you have done it? How much more if he asked you to dip in the Jordan River seven times? And The account is so wonderful how Naaman dips seven times in the Jordan and he rises up and then he is totally healed of his leprosy. Well, just as God healed Naaman of his leprosy through plunging him into the Jordan and rising, uh, raising him up. In the same way, friend, when God put you into Christ and you were co-crucified and co-buried, when he raised you up, a miracle took place. Greater than the miracle that healed Naaman's body is the miracle that gave you a new spirit 
that is a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Just as General Naaman was raised uh, with a new health and a new vitality and freedom from leprosy, you and I are spiritually raised with a spirit that's cleansed and made new and made righteous in Christ. Colossians um, chapter 3 says that we have put on the new man who is created in righteousness and holiness, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4 as well. Romans 5.10 is the basis of one of our favorite books. It's a book by Ian Thomas called The Saving Life of Christ. In Romans 5.10, it talks about our co-resurrection with Christ and it talks about how this is really the dynamic for personal renewal as we learn to cooperate with God's grace. Romans 5 and verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies, God reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Do you notice the contrast in that verse? It says, If when we were enemies before we were saved, that God reconciled us to himself by the death of Christ. That's our new birth. That's our salvation. How much more, now that you're a child of God, but often beset by problems and baggage from the past and besetting sins and emotional damage and whatever is holding us back, whatever needs to be sanctified, whatever needs to be healed. It says, how much more, now that you're in need of a deeper work of God in your life, it says, we shall be saved by his life. You say, saved from what? Saved from the self-life. Saved from that self-centered attempt to try to earn God's acceptance and live a, a life pleasing to God based on performance. God wants to save us from our version of flesh into a life that's Christ-centered, a life that is an expression of Christ living his life in us and through us. And how does he deliver us from those old patterns? By the indwelling life of Christ. The promise is we shall be saved by his life. How amazing. What a great promise. I remember meeting June Hunt um, of Hope for the Heart once. And as I heard more about her discipleship ministry and counseling ministry on the radio and based in Dallas, Texas, I was intrigued to hear from her that the book, other than, of course, the Holy Bible, that impacted her the most was Ian Thomas's book, The Saving Life of Christ. And friends, that, that truth will impact you and me as we reckon it to be true personally. Well, after our Lord Jesus was raised, he appeared a number of times to the disciples and by many infallible proofs taught them about the kingdom of God, the book of Acts tells us. And then he was taken back up to heaven. Can't you just imagine the apostles there with their mouths gaping open, look, looking up into the heaven as Christ was taken back into glory? And then what did the angels tell them? This same Jesus who is taken up from you will come again in like manner. In other words, visibly and personally, Christ is coming again. And what a blessed hope that is to look forward to the second coming. But friends, just as the disciples were amazed at Christ's ascension, going back to the right hand of the Father, you and I will be amazed when we see that the Scripture actually teaches that through our union with Christ, the new you has been seated with Christ in heavenly places as well. You say, what? <laughs> that is what the Bible teaches. Remember we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we were raised with Him. But it also says in Ephesians 2, 6, 
that God made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is this co-ascension all about? Well, when we talk about heaven, we're talking about where the omnipresent God reveals his personal presence. God fills the universe, and yet he reveals his presence in a special way, like he did in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, in the temple. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. So what here we're learning is that when Christ comes into you, when the Holy Spirit makes the life of God real in your new human spirit, that you are joined with Christ and Christ is in heaven. So where Christ is, you are. When Christ ascended to heaven, we see that his authority as the King of kings and Lord of lords was dramatically testified and confirmed. In the same way, because we were raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places, positionally and spiritually, that you and I also have authority over our spiritual enemies. And what are our spiritual enemies? Our enemies include Satan. But the Bible says because we're seated with Christ, we can submit to God and resist the devil. And what's going to happen? The devil has to flee from us. The, the Bible says that we are crucified to the world. The world has no authority over us, but we have to renew our minds so we're not pressed into its mold. So we are freed from the authority of the world's value system. We're also freed from the authority of the old patterns of the flesh that is still in us. And so when the Bible says that we're co-crucified with him, that this body of sin uh, can be rendered inoperative as a, as a tool of sin, in the same way we're saying that through our union with Christ, the body we live in is actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. And now we are to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. So as we say, Lord, take my faculty of seeing and hearing and and my hands, my feet, every aspect of me, my faculty of speech, and live your life through me, then this body becomes a useful and um, fruitful vessel of his life, his indwelling life. So friends, when we talk about our co-crucifixion and co-burial, we need to say goodbye to who we were in Adam. When we talk about our co-resurrection and co-ascension, we need to say hello to who we are in Christ and realize that our new identity is based on our union with him in his resurrection and his ascension. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, we have another wonderful testimony of our identification with Christ. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Did you catch that? In verse 3 it says, for you died. It's not saying you're supposed to die. It's saying that if you're in Christ, you died. Indicative. It's something that happened. But the Bible says we need to accept that by faith and let that show the, the new nature, the new identity that we have in Christ. We have to have that white funeral, as Oswald Chambers mentioned. And also verse 4 says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. But the question that you and I need to ask ourselves today is, am I really relying upon Christ 
as my source of living or am I relying on my own resources? Am I just saying, God, help me? Well, that's a good first step, but God has something better. He doesn't just want to help us because he can't really uh, bless our attempts to live in our flesh with his help, but he wants to live his life in us and through us so he receives all the glory. I'm reminded of the story of Watchman Nee in China decades ago, who in a sense, uh, in desperation, locked himself in his bedroom one day and said, I'm not going to leave here until I, I learn how to be co-crucified with Christ. Watchman Nee knew that, that this was the secret of the victorious Christian life. And he had his Chinese Bible and combing through Romans 6. And then he stopped at Romans 6, 6 once again. And he said, knowing this, and the light came on. Knowing this, that means it already happened. Then he looked further on the page and he, he read the words in Romans 6, 9 and 10. Reckon this to be true. What does reckon mean? It means to count it to be true personally. Well, Watchman, he realized that he had been trying to pretend that he was co-crucified and co-raised, but pretending wasn't getting it, wasn't adequate. When the Holy Spirit revealed to him that the old person, Adam, really was co-crucified and buried and that the new believer is raised and ascended with Christ, then once that was revelational knowledge, it was illumined to be personally true. Well, he, he tells in his biography that he ran down to another part of the house and I think he found a cook in the kitchen and he said in his excitement, I'm dead, I'm dead. I don't know if the cook understood what he was talking about, but he knew by biblical and experiential testimony that he could say now with the Apostle Paul, I, there's the reckoning, there's the personalization of this. I have been crucified with Christ. Friend, is that your testimony? I remember my wife Linda and I years ago having a conversation with Dan DeHaan, a Bible teacher out of Atlanta, Georgia. And he was saying to us that Galatians 2.20 is such a pivotal, vital verse, but most believers don't really know its full meaning. Well, my wife and I looked at each other and we knew that that was one of our favorite verses, but um, it would be years later until Dan DeHaan's insight um, was confirmed in our own experience. And that message went from our head to our heart, from doctrine to experience. So, friend, I'd like to ask you today, if you have personalized this revelation, if you have reckoned this to be true personally, as Romans 6 says, reckon this to be true, count it to be true that the old you was crucified and buried, say goodbye to that old identity, and then by faith claim who you are in Christ. Appendix B in your workbook talks about who you are in Christ and we hope that you'll study those scriptures and confess them as true because that is the substance of our victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. If someone wrote out a check to you for $1,000, you'd say, well, that would be grand, literally. But then you would need to not only acknowledge that it's a valid check, but you would need to endorse it and you would need to cash it. Well, friend, God has given us the check in his word, something much more valuable than money. We're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But my question to you today is, have you endorsed this? Have you put your name in the blank, so to speak, of Galatians 2.20? And have you accepted by faith your 
co-crucifixion and co-burial, your co-resurrection and your co-ascension. There is a prayer at the conclusion of our Lesson 5, which you can read over. And sometimes as we counsel people at Grace Fellowship, we'll ask them to read this prayer or one like it. And I'll ask them, does this represent what God is doing in your life? And sometimes they're under conviction of their own version of self, their own flesh patterns. They realize that they've been trying to live the Christian life in their own strength and it hasn't worked. Maybe they've never come to surrender and God is crowding them to that decision. And they're being crowded to the decision of Galatians 2.20. And they'll say, yes, this is really what God is wanting me to do. And then we had asked them to pray this prayer or to put it in, in their own words. Or sometimes we'll, we'll guide them in a phrase-by-phrase phrase prayer. And it's wonderful to see that God wants to illumine us to show us that we can live out of a new identity, an identity that's not based on rejection and failure or even personal achievement, but based upon his amazing grace. When we talk about the need for a personal testimony of identification, we're basically showing how this is very similar to evangelism. If you share the gospel with someone and they admitted that they, they were sinners, that they could not save themselves, that they believed that Christ died for them and rose again, but then you did not invite them to appropriate Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, then they would still be missing out on salvation, right? The Bible says, but to as many as received him, to them God gave the right to become children of God. In a similar way, friend, this isn't just information. It's not just doctrine. Romans 6, 9 and 10 says, count it to be true personally. Oswald Chambers says, have your white funeral. In the literature from Grace Fellowship, you'll read about how when the Holy Spirit made this experiential for Charles Solomon and back in um, when he was 35 years of age, back in 1965, that transformational change was very much a dramatic um, crisis experience. And sometimes it is a crisis experience. Sometimes it's more of a gradual dawning like it was for me when I was about 30 years of age. But whether it's a crisis or a process, friend, would you pray that God would make this truth a reality in your personal experience? That you'll be able to say, along with Paul, that you've been crucified with Christ and the life that you're living is not based upon your own efforts or your own good intentions, but it's based upon trusting Christ to live his life in you and through you instead of you. Friends, when we trust Christ to live his life in us and through us instead of us, things will be different. God will be glorified. And we'll discover a whole new potential for fruitfulness in our Christian life because God will receive all the glory. God bless you.